All right. Hey, good to see all of you. And um, I was sitting in the front, and they sound great, but you guys sounded pretty good, too, in the back. And so keep singing out loud. And um, it is nice to worship together. Today is our anniversary, and um, it is uh, something else to give glory to God for um, as he has started the church and sustained the church. And you think about a church that's nine years old, um, and um, some of you have been around almost from the beginning, um, and just how much um, God has taken in it. Something that was just imagination, you know, uh, let's plant the church. Something that was, wasn't there into what it is today. And we think about this past year, right? How much have you changed or grown? And some of you, uh, your lives have changed quite a bit this past year. Some of you, it feels the same. You know, maybe you're wearing the same shirt that you wore a year ago, um, and you're at church today. Um, but one of the things that we really want to be growing in is our love for others. We want to love. Um, that is the most important thing. That is the fundamental part of being a Christian, is that we love. A Christian that knows everything, does everything, but does not have love is uh, really missing the whole point. And so we're going to be looking at this idea of love um, for the next uh, about six weeks or so. And also we will be um, today just looking at how we ought to love in the form of hospitality, how we ought to open up our lives to someone else and care for others and invite people into our lives and how important that is. And so we see that here from First Peter. You know, First Peter is written by Peter. You, if you know the story about Peter, Jesus reinstates him. Remember, uh, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. You know, it's, it was all about love. And so it is to no surprise that he writes this letter. And he tells us um, two, really two parts is why should we love? You know, love takes time and energy, and sometimes you get burned. Sometimes you, um, someone will, you know, flake on you. Why should, why? Why should you love? And the second part is, is how? What are some ways I could love? What does that entail? What does loving someone look like, right? And so we're going to look, look at some of these things uh, in light of the hospitality aspect of love. So we're called to love others and to say, why should we do this? Um, a couple of reasons. Number one is because he says it's the end times, right? In verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. You know, he's, Peter is talking about the end of all things is at hand. So what he is not saying, when you first read this, you could misunderstand this to say, oh, the world's going to come to an end. It, it's, you know, kind of a doomsday prediction. It's over. Um, and then we say, well, it's been 2,000 years. What happened? What he's, that is not what he's saying. And uh, many of the commentators will talk about this. He's talking about that it's the last of the era. The end of things is at hand. So, uh, for example, uh, Wayne Grudem, this gets a little technical, but I think it is helpful for us. All right, this idea of that all things is at hand, this idea of all major events in God's plan of redemption have occurred. This is what Wayne Grudem says. So all of the things that God had planned, from creation to the fall, to the exodus, uh, to the forming of Israel, um, and, and, all, and all the way to the New Testament era, to the birth of Christ, the death, the ascension, um, him giving God the Holy Spirit to us, and then the establishment of the church. These were all little chapters along the way that pointed to this idea of uh, what is to come. So we're kind of in the last chapter. So what he is saying is you have privileged information. You are in a privileged place as the church because you're in the last 
part, the end of all things. This is the, the church era. And so because you're in the church era, you ought to now love other people. You ought to be loving. And uh, he talks about that here, right, that how important it is that we keep that in mind. So we're, we're the church. Um, the church didn't exist until the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 and on. And then now we are living that out. We're a part of that heritage. And so because we are at that last chapter, because we have witnessed and seen and heard the death and resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the giving of God the Holy Spirit, and since we have experienced that as the church, this is how you ought to live, he's saying. And so there is a sense of privileged information. There's a sense that you are in the last chapter. You are in this privileged time. You know, you get to come in at the right time. Secondly, we, uh, we ought to love. The reason we ought to love is because love is preeminent. I mean, love is number one. If you were to rank what is the most important aspect of a person, it is love. The Bible will say it's love. Whether you're a Christian or not, the one thing that we all want in life is love. We want it from our friends, our family, um, our, the people we're dating, the people that we're married uh, to, the pets that we have. We want love. I mean, love is number one. And, and Peter says here this in verse 8, above all. Okay, so you have everything else that you think is so important. You know, gear, rearing your child in a certain way or reading the Bible in a certain way or working really hard, you know, 60, 70 hours a week in a certain way. He said, above all, above all of that, above all of that is love. And so it's number one. For us as Christians, if you don't have love, you have nothing. First Corinthians, I just want to share a few verses with you. First Corinthians 13 that we know so well. Before it gets into love is patient, you know, and all of that, it talks about a little backdrop here. And in verse 1 and on, it says, you could be a very, quote-unquote, spiritual person in your eyes, but the most spiritual thing you have to do is love others. And this is what he says, and I just want to read a few verses for us this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He says, you can give all you have. You can even sacrifice your body to be burned. But if you don't love, you're a clinging symbol. You are nothing, zero. And so Paul talks about it there. Uh, when Jesus is asked by the scribes, what is the greatest of the commandments? In Mark chapter 12, he reminds them. Um, they ask him in verse 28, the second part, which commandment is the most important of all? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Nothing else greater than these. And so if, if we want to look at our lives, say, what, what does a successful Christian life look like? You have to have love. There is nothing greater than this. It is the number one thing we have to do. 
the preeminence of love is the reason why we ought to, because it is so powerful, because it is what defines the church and defines us. I mean, think about it. Everyone wants love, right? Why are, um, you know, why are dogs better than cats usually, right? Because well, they, they love you back. Cats kind of just use you, right? Some of you cat people, but you're just a sucker. You just give to the cat, give, 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 give. But the dog loves you, right? The dog loves you more than you love the dog sometimes, right? Um, and I have that relationship with our dog. My dog loves me more than I love Daisy, right? And she loves me. She follows me everywhere. And then I leave her behind with no guilt. You know, like, bye, I got to go. Don't pee on the ground, you know? And um, see you. And then when I come home, she doesn't hold a grudge. You know, like, you left me for eight hours. Like, you know, you know, tail is wagging. And she's like, my best friend is here. Um, and uh, so we all want it. Right? You look at all the movies that we watch, you know, uh, you know, from Pocahontas to the Titanic, right? Why did Rose pick Jack, the poor guy who snuck in versus the rich guy who everyone wanted her? I mean, he had everything. Why? Because it was love. Plus, it was a movie, but, you know, it was, it was love, right? And he was willing to freeze and, and die and turn blue for her and, you know, all of this. And she became an old lady and she's still thinking about him. You know, it's time to get over that. But anyways, it was love, right? It was love. That's what we all want. We don't want a, you don't want a marriage that has no love. You don't want a family life that has no love. What if you have all the riches, but you have no love? You don't want a church that is fancy and nice and talented and this, but have no love. And you don't want a life that you think is all fun and nice and pleasurable, but if you don't have love, that is not a life. And if you don't love someone, and you call yourself a Christian, and you say, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, and I do this, and I serve in this capacity, and I, these are my beliefs. And but if you don't have love, Paul says you are nothing. Um, so we have to love in this way. It's the preeminent quality of a, of a Christian. And the third reason of why we should love is love covers a multitude of sins. Love takes care of all the sin issues, right? It says it in that verse that we read in verse 7. Um, Since love covers a multitude of sins, right? Since love covers a, verse eight, sorry, a multitude of sins. Uh, covers all of it. Um, let's count them all, all the different kinds, and love still blankets all of it. It's big enough. The love of God that's given to us is big enough to cover that. It, not my own compassion. Not because my parents raised me, right? And I could, no, um, only the love that God gives us covers that. And so we have to learn to love. A multitude of sins. That means it covers big sins and even little sins. Right? Sometimes, you know, some of us in the church are very good at big sins, right? You hear about someone that committed a crime or that did this or that got caught, and we're, we're compassionate. You know, you talk to someone that ended up on the, in the streets because of whatever, you know, drug issue, whatever. We say, oh, I'm compassionate to the big sinner. You know, we ought to embrace the big sinner. But yet, a lot of times, we can't stand the little sins. You know, the little pebbles in our shoes when we're walking, it just bothers me. It's more of a nuisance. All my pet peeves, I can't stand it. I can't go to this church because these people have they, they, all the qualities, all my pet peeves. You know, they're always late. They're always flaky. You know, every time I talk to them, they're always just looking at their phone. They don't listen. You know, all these little pet peeves. Love covers the big and the little sins. And sometimes we say, oh, I, I'm going to love the big sinner, but the little things I can't stand. 
You know, the guy in front of me is driving too slow. I can't stand it. The guy behind me is driving too fast. He needs to back off. You know, we, we, we become so impatient in this way. Love covers all of that. I mean, how do you survive as a family? Those of you who have siblings, how did you tolerate your sibling? Taking your food, taking your clothes, tattling on you. Sometimes you wanted to kill them, and you know everything about them. But what covers it? It's love. How does a husband and wife get along for years? You know, uh, they always talk about the honeymoon period, right? And um, they say, oh, you know, oh, the honeymoon period. And I've heard different um, definitions of it. I've heard some people say it's a year. I've heard some people say, no, it's less than a year. It's just three months. You know, and then the really pessimistic, oh, you know, it's over when the honeymoon's over. Like, that's it, you know? And um, boy, get ready to learn how to fight. It's bad, you know? And, but how does, a, how does a husband and a wife who are complete sinners and, and the guys who's just completely selfish and, you know, there's all this power and you get into a relationship, how do they get along? It's because you love each other. It's not because you are made for each other, perfect for each other. It's because you're compatible. There is absolutely none of that. It's ultimately, it's love. If someone is not uh, selfless, then they'll become, the other becomes selfish. And if someone is inconsiderate, then the other becomes inconsiderate. And someone is irritable easily than the other person. And it continues. But how do you maintain that is just simply you love them. And so it covers a multitude of sins. You know, Wayne Grudem in his commentary says this, and I want to quote him. Where love is lacking, I love this, where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and all conflicts about to Satan's perverse delight. So if you are in a group and there is no love, if you go to your workplace tomorrow and there is no love, everything is suspicious. What does she mean that I look good today, you know? Does that mean I look bad last week? What does she mean by this, you know? Why does he say that, boy, did I lose weight? What, what was he talking about, like, you know? And it's, everything is up to this. Um, and so we have to cover this with love. We have to be committed to loving our brothers and sisters in the world around us. And how does this look like? How should we now love? A couple of ways. One is earnestly, it says in that verse. Verse 8, above all, uh, keep loving one another earnestly. The word earnestly, this is the first way. Earnestly, it's a word in the original language that the uh, commentators say is it means to be stretched. You know, uh, without a break, you're just going and going to be stretched. It's a, it's a marathon runner who doesn't stop. Their legs are burning. Their lungs are on fire and they keep going. It's to be stretched. It's hard work. And so it's more than just falling into an emotional thing. It means to, it, it's going to cost you. You want to love your neighbor. You want to love your enemy. You want to love your spouse. You want to love your child. It's going to cost you. And so we have to understand that Truth, what did, what did you expect in love? You know, we often have a misunderstanding that love is all about convenience. Love is always about something that feels right and is about me and satisfies me. But love is something that stretches us. It's without a break. It's I love them earnestly, and I have to continue to love them in this way. You know, when you love someone, right? You can't help but to express yourself. You want to demonstrate this. You want to buy them things when you love them. I mean, you see this craziness, right, when um, uh, people have their, one, their first born child, right? And you see the craziness, right, when these, these children, 
And I had the same craziness with mine too. When they turn one, I mean, you see, there it is. There is love going crazy. Now I'm going to spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to throw a party for this baby who cannot eat that food and doesn't want to be there. You know, she just wants to go take a nap. She just wants to be left alone, not have all these germy, dirty people all around her. She just wants to be left alone, but you're changing her outfit, taking pictures, you know. And then you have all these people you're inviting. They really don't really want to be there, you know, except for the sympathetic auntie or two. They're all there, you know, because they, they kind of, you came to theirs, and they're all there. Baby doesn't want to be there. The dad doesn't really want to be there, you know. And, and so you, you throw this party. Because you, you say, I love, I, I want to express all I can. It's not enough. I, I want to, you know, I want to throw a party for you. You turned one because I love you. I want to show a slideshow about your whole life. And I'm going to really show your whole life, you know, because I love you so much. And I, I want people to come and celebrate. I want to tell, I need to express this to everyone. It's costly. And so the moment that love costs you something, your heart to break, you to spend money and your time and all these things, and you say, oh, it's inconveniencing me. I'm not going to do it. The first thing we want to do is say, oh, I'm going to just protect myself. We're so into boundaries. Oh, the boundaries, walls. I need to put it up and protect myself. But we have to understand that love is costly. The second thing, how, how we ought to love is we ought to do it till we die. It ought to be our lifestyle. In the passage that we read, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another. Keep loving the ESV does a great job in letting us understand the original language that it was in the present tense. It's something you ought to continue to do. So don't love a little bit. Don't love only on Sundays. Don't love on Valentine's Day only. Don't love. Keep loving and make it your life. So those in your household, you ought to keep loving them. Those who are your neighbors, you ought to keep loving them. And this ought to be your life goal. If you have a bucket list, whatever list, whatever goal you have for your life, this ought to be it. That I could somehow, God, would you help me to be a loving person? More than a successful person, rich person, happy person, you know, an ex ex experienced person, a well-traveled person. More than any of those things as a Christian, help me to be a loving person. Help me to be a loving brother, a loving sister. Um, it is so, so important. And a lot of times we get hurt and we clam up. We've um, been disappointed and we shut the door. And I want to challenge you. Maybe that's been your defense mechanism, but that, it, that doesn't solve anything. You have to continue to love. Your, your ability to love will only grow. Your heart will only grow and the more you use it. So love someone. Take a chance on someone. Go and approach someone. Say, hey, you know, can, can I hang out with you? Can I spend some time with you? Um, and we ought to be investing ourselves in someone always. And the last way we ought to do this, and this is really is um, the main idea, is that we ought to be hospitable. Right? Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Without like, okay, I got this over with. I'm done. Oh, my gosh, you know, like he's, you know, um, stay too late. Oh, you know, or, oh, man, she just talks so much, you know, and like, oh, no grumbling, right? It's show hospitality without grumbling. 
So how am I going to love is to show hospitality. And all through the scriptures, you see this, you know, older women show younger women how to be hospitable. Uh, Elders, this is how you ought to be. You ought to be hospitable. You know, Jesus Christ was hospitable towards us. In the Old Testament, there are examples of Abraham and Moses. They were hospitable to those who were foreigners in the land. We ought to be hospitable in this way. The word hospitable, uh, as it's kind of two Greek words that are put together Philo Xenos, and it means, Philo is like Philadelphia, love, love, right? Xenos, it means stranger, loving the stranger. Love someone who is different. Love someone who is outside of your circle. Love someone you don't know and invest in them. Love someone, love a stranger. Make room, show uh, hospitality towards them. And so we, as the people of God, need to be open to them. Now, this, this could mean, and back in the New Testament era, even the Old Testament era, there weren't hotels and inns and all those things. So being hospitable was very important. When a, a group of Christians would come to town or when the Apostle Paul would come to town and you would open your house literally for them. That's one way of being hospitable. But really, we have to have some room in our lives. We ought to plan our schedule so we could be a little bit more hospitable. You know, think of, we are so busy. Our schedules are so packed. We ought to make it a discipline to leave a little margin. Why am I so busy? You know, and is my schedule so busy because it's about me? Oh, I'm going to go eat here on Monday. I'm going to go eat here Wednesday. And I have, I'm, I have way too many, you know, social things I need to get to, that er, the important things. Yeah, we ought to have some kind of margin so we could sit down with someone. We could invite someone. We could talk to someone and say, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. The Christian ought to have that kind of mindset that we ought to open things up for them and leave room for them. You know, growing up, um, I had a couple friends, I remember distinctly, one, one house, uh, one of the friend's houses was very hospitable. You know, every time I go, um, the mom is always cooking. Oh, Steve, you're here. It's time to eat. I mean, she assumed you're hungry, right, when you would go. And and we have moms and uh, our friends' moms that were like that. And it's like, oh, I love this, you know, house. And she's always cooking. Oh, come on on in, son. You must be hungry. And she would give me food. And, um, you know, a teenage boy who isn't, you know, who's not hungry, right? Like, oh, I love it. And I remember on the other end of the spectrum, I remember going to another friend's house. And the house was a fancier house. It had white floors, right? And it was like sparkling white and then I remember uh, he said you can't don't touch the fridge like you can't go in the fridge I was like well what do you have in the now I'm curious what do you have in the fridge like don't touch the fridge you can't eat the food and then he his mom had this I still remember a big white leather sofa that she had bought from Europe somewhere and so we couldn't sit on it so we go to his house and we sit on the floor like can I get at least some water you know and and then the mom would come in and look at us like you filthy animals are in my house like get them out of here and some, you know, sometimes we are so concerned about the things and the control we could have. And man, if we have to get rid of the $10,000 sofa, if we have to get rid of this so that I could have some people come in, maybe make a mess and just spend some time, it sure is worth it. Wouldn't you be rather known as, man, I remember going to him, and man, he would always want to buy me a meal. He would take me out. He, would, he always had time for me. Versus, oh, you know, he was so busy. He was too important for me. And so we ought to show hospitality in such a way that it is so fundamental to your life. It is a lifestyle. 
you know, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, they have a motto for all their employees when they train them. They go through an extensive training to work there. And they tell all of their employees that this is what their motto is, is you are, we are ladies and gentlemen who serve ladies and gentlemen. And so if you've ever had a chance to go to a Ritz-Carlton, to go eat dinner and to walk around, you valet your car. And I remember valeting my car um, to go eat dinner there. And I remember they asked, what is your name? They get your name. And then they radio it in to the guy that's inside the door. They open the door. And I remember the shock of walking in and them saying, welcome, Mr. Choi. And, you know, I was like, I literally was like, is there another Mr. Choi? I'm the only person. I'm like, how did, am I? Yeah, I, I, wow, I'm pretty. You know, and you feel like I'm someone special. And the waiters know and, the, you know, the greeters know. And, and that place, if you ever go, you say, wow, it's so special because they know you by name. And they treat their own people. Not, you're not just a bus boy. You're not just a bell uh, boy. You're not just a, a valet driver. You are ladies and gentlemen who serve ladies and gentlemen. So they're elevated. And they understand that those who come are ladies and gentlemen. So we have to understand, man, the people that God has placed you are not just random neighbors, needy people. But there is no accident. Somehow God has placed someone in your life. And they are the ladies and gentlemen from God. And you are a lady and a gentleman from God. And you ought to serve them in such a way. And that we ought to be so hospitable. So I'm going to ask that we would do that. You know, and just a couple uh, definitions of this as we wrap up. Uh, Henry Nouwen talks about this. He says, hospitality means primarily the creation of free space. Where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. Tim Keller said this, and he says, to have someone over to your house, to listen to their problems, to meet someone new in your neighborhood, and invite them into your home, and just listen to them, just welcome them. That's not social work, that's not counseling, that's not spiritual direction. You're not a trained spiritual director, you're not a trained counselor. There's no technique involved, it's just common. It's just getting together over a meal, yet God can work powerfully in that. You don't have to change them, you don't have to go in with an agenda. Just invite you over. I'm going to offer some space for you. And I'm going to ask that you would do that. Um, there was a, a study done uh, by the Gallup poll, and one of the conclusions they came up with uh, in Amer life in America, and the conclusion of the study was this, that Americans are, the among, are among the loneliest people in the world. Individualistic, we're in our cars, we go straight into our garage, we don't see our neighbors, we sit in our cubicles, headphones on, no one talks to us. We are one of the loneliest people in the whole world. And I want to tell you, you can make a difference. That God has given to you a capacity for love, the ability to love. And if you would open up some space and invite one person in, two people in, Go grab a cup of coffee. Go have a meal. Have them come over. Whatever it is, just open up some space. See how God can work through you. If all of us are hospitable to one person, I think of what can be done. And we think about Jesus Christ who is hospitable to us. The one who says, I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. In my Father's home are many rooms. 
He's invited us in. He says, no longer do I call you servants, I now call you friends. He's invited us in through the gospel. And so we have received much and much is expected in this upcoming year of our lives, Crossway, this year of our church. Above anything else, let us become more loving. Even today as you go out the doors, go and approach someone. Let's become more loving. As you're grabbing tacos and, you know, maybe there's just one more taco left. Hey, share it at least, okay? At least take a bite and offer the bite if you can't give it all, right? And let's be more loving in this way. Um, And uh, that would mean that we have had a successful year in the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we give you this year, and uh, you've given us so much. And um, we take that capacity and the ability to love, and we want to now live it out. We want to make space in our lives for those who don't know you, those who are hurting, and just even one or two people, God, for all of us. We want to do that. So help us to do that, Lord. Um, We want to make that space here. Help us to be a loving church, would you, Lord? Um, We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.